Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. It's good to see you guys today. I uh, kind of have to fess up, I embarrassed you again. And so, uh, some may or may not know, one of my hobbies is I love all things sports. And so on Friday nights, I uh, do play-by-play for high school. And uh, so, I've done it long enough that a couple of local area radio stations, they like to do those post-game call-in shows. And so, I just thought, I'm going to be cute this week. And uh, I, the end of my, you know, report of how the Uligai Mustangs had performed and got hammered by Collinsville, I thought I would lighten the mood by telling a dad joke. Do you want to hear the joke? You really need this joke? To, I'm going to give credit where credit's due. The joke originated from Kaylee's orthodontist. So, um, so after I gave the report, you know, Mustangs fell a little bit short. Blah, blah, blah. I go, guys, if I could just share one kind of serious note with you. And they got real quiet on their, their phone. I mean, they're on the radio. This is statewide radio, 26 radio stations. And I said, uh, yeah, a friend of mine this summer went down to the beach and was involved in a shark attack and you know, tragically lost his left arm and lost his left leg. And they're like, oh no. And I said, yeah, when I talked to his wife, uh, she said he's all right now. <laughs> they didn't say a word. One of them finally broke this awkward silence and goes, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. Yeah. I said, I won't do that anymore. Just don't fire me. Hey, starting a brand new series today on Daniel. And we live in 2022. And sometimes the word of God is hard, especially with the culture that pushes in around us. So I really feel like this is a great time to start this series. And um, we're going to push on some stuff that, that like, even in Scripture, go, ooh, should he say that today? And I'm just going to tell you, I'm, I'm the guy, if all of you leave, I'm still going to stand here and I'm still going to preach what God's word. I'm also very careful not to put my opinion, I'm just going to preach God's word to you. And, and just know that's where we're going. I hope you'll jump in on this journey. I don't know, like, I've not sat down and planned out the book of Daniel I sat down and planned out the book of Philippians back in the spring, and it was like an eight-part series that turned into 16. So we're literally just going to walk through this book of Daniel. It's kind of a hybrid book, and I'll talk more about that in just a second. But I just want to set the preface for that, that I'm just going to let the text preach the text. I saw a video this past week that I thought was really good that really encapsulates the idea of who Daniel is and the season and the culture that Daniel lived in. And it was a guy, maybe you've seen this video, it was on social media where I saw it, he said, you know, my grandfather walked 10 miles to work, and my father walked five miles to work. He says, I drive a Cadillac. My son will drive a Mercedes, my grandson will drive a Ferrari. But my great-grandson will walk. Tough times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men, and weak men create tough times. And that encapsulates, that that cycle is found throughout history. That cycle is found throughout Scripture. And that last portion 
Weak men create tough times. Those tough times you're going to find in the book of Daniel. Only to see a strong man, and sometimes his friends are with him, to appear it again. So we're going to take the next few weeks just to take this journey to walk through the Old Testament book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is kind of a hybrid. It's his story. It's also history. But it also, he had this spiritual gift of prophecy. Like God allowed him to see things in the future. So while this book is part of Israel's history, it will also have parts that deals with the end times of things that are to come. And Daniel does his best to describe things that he doesn't understand and he, he can't explain. And I think both conversations about the history of Israel, the history of Daniel, but also the things to come, I, I think it's gonna be a fun conversation. So let's set the context in history. Roughly 600 years before Jesus was born. So 2,600 years ago. That's when Daniel, a Jewish man, comes on the scene. Roughly 400 years before Daniel, so I'm gonna keep going back in time and I'm just gonna kind of walk you through some history this morning. The nation of Israel had been united as one nation. When I say the nation of Israel, I mean the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, okay? They were one united nation. King Saul was their first king. David replaced him, and, and David really kind of brought all the tribes together, and he ushered in this season of peace and really put Israel, the nation of Israel, on the precipice of being a world superpower of the known day and of the known time. They had peace in their time. David's son, Solomon, comes on, and he's actually the third king of Israel. God appeared to him in dreams, said, Solomon, you have anything you want. He said, God, I just want wisdom to lead your people. And God said, you can have that. So Solomon almost had this supernatural wisdom, but God also blessed him with just a lot of prosperity, a lot of riches, blessed his lifetime with a time of peace. Solomon's son, and, and I'm, I'm just Rehoboam, like I'm gonna try to go through all these names, right? So Rehoboam actually caused the nation of Israel to split. And so now they go through somewhat of a little bit of a civil war and you have the northern tribes, they retain the name Israel. And it's confusing, okay? The southern part becomes the nation of Judah, all right? Around 604 BC is when the book of Daniel begins when the world superpower of the day, and it's no longer Israel, it's not Judah, the world superpower of the day is the Babylonians. I'm gonna unpack who all of those people are, okay? They would actually invade and conquer that southern nation of Judah. They had already conquered the nation to the north of Israel 118 years prior. And this Jewish man by the name of Daniel, and the Babylonians will actually change his name, and you'll see that in just a second. So today might feel a little history teachish. But I think we need to learn from history, and I think there's a lot to learn from here. So let me read just to you a little bit, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, we're talking about the southern tribes, nation of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia, and he placed them in the treasure house of his God. Notice it's a lowercase g. Verse three, then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his staff, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. 
Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning and, and they're gifted with knowledge and good judgment, are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these men in the language and literature of Babylon. So basically he said, take the best you can find that are healthy, they're smart, and let's put them to work for us. Let's put them to work in the kingdom of Babylonia, all right? The king assigned them daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men. There were a lot more than that, but there were four of them that were chosen. All were from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed these men with Babylonian names. And you're gonna see throughout this morning, this is very common. They have a Jewish name that's given, but when an invading army, such as the Egyptians or the Babylonians come in, they would remove, almost in a, in a disrespectful way, they would remove their Jewish title and they would give them, rename them, with a Babylonian or Egyptian name. So Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Shazzy was his street name. What's up, Shazzy? No, no, no. Just in if you wait. Hananiah was called Shadrach, and so you'll recognize these three names. Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. So when we tell the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's not their Jewish given name. That was their Babylonian given name. Verse eight, and this might be the most important verse of the whole book. Daniel was determined not to defile himself. And so I know this is going to, if you go on and you read this, this is talking about the food that he would eat, but it's more than just food. Daniel purposed in his heart, in a corrupt culture that surrounded him, he was going to be a strong man. He was going to still stand for his God. He was still going to stand on biblical principles his life was still gonna glorify and honor God. The title of today's message is, don't go there. Don't go there. And, and what, I'm, what my goal is to do is to present to you how the children of Israel got to such a place from superpower status of David and Solomon that were great kings to the invading army came in and conquered them and now people are hauled off, off to Babylon and now you have to serve a foreign king. Don't go there. Don't make the mistakes they made. Don't go there, okay? So Thursday night, Pastor Will and I had been invited to go to the OSU football game. Orange! Sharp people here, right? So we were walking out of the stadium. We left at the end of the third quarter. It just takes a while to get back, wanting to beat the traffic and all that. And, you know, I'm the old guy. Listen, when I went to school, that building wasn't even there. Right? So I, I, he had already had about five hours of that. Right? Listen, when I was in school over here, Right, and so anyway, he, he, he uh, naively, maybe he had a good heart, he just asked a simple question, like how much has this place changed or what was it like when you were here? Quite frankly, I don't even remember what he asked, but it was something along those lines and the question's irrelevant. But what happened after that, he basically asked one simple question and I talked the entire 67 minutes it took us to get back to Sand Springs. Shocking, I know. And as I walked through the seasons of my life, I talked about pain, but I talked about purpose. And I talked about valleys, but I also talked about victories. I talked about great moments, but I also talked about moments of misery. And like many of you, looking back on your life, I certainly don't wanna repeat parts of that. Some of it I'd like another shot at it, but just with the wisdom of an older, more mature version of myself. Looking back, the details don't change, but the perspective does, okay? As, as the pain heals from the things of the past, as the emotions kind of clear away, 
you can really begin to see God was working. I couldn't see it then in that valley. I couldn't see it because I was just so clouded by the pain and the emotion and the hurt and just the, didn't understand. But as you begin to look back with perspective on your life, God really was working in those painful moments. There's a couple of books of the Bible that do that very thing. Their perspective, they look back over life and they let the emotions clear, the, the stress of the trial clear away and they offer perspective. One of those books actually belongs to King Solomon. We talked about him just briefly. He was David's son. The older I get, I more I love the book of Ecclesiastes. I do. I just love Ecclesiastes and his perspective on life. The other book belongs to Moses, and it's the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm going to use that book a lot today to kind of set some things. Both books were written at the end of their lives. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life, and Deuteronomy was written at the end of Moses' life. The details did not change, the perspective did. All right? So looking back over my life, looking at Scripture, looking at God's relationship with his people, this is how I see it. And maybe I'm wrong, I won't be the first time, but this is what I've come to process and how I understand our relationship with God. I believe that God gave us a free will, and I know that's a loaded term, and some of you come from churches that preach on that or don't talk about it or whatever. But for our conversation today, let me, let me tell you in the simplest form of what I mean when God gave us a free will. God won't make you love him. He gave us a free will to choose to be in relationship with him or not, okay? I, I just don't believe God hardwired me to obey him. God says, I want you to choose to love me. I want you to choose to be in relationship. And, and maybe some of you grew up in a home where love and respect was demanded. And I, don't get me wrong, I, I expect, I demand that my kids will respect their mother, honor their father. The Bible teaches that. But I'm talking about more of a heavy-handed situation where it wasn't earned, it wasn't respected. And some of you, you know, as a parent, I, I demand, and, and like, so maybe it felt heavy-handed, heavy-handed, okay? Or maybe you grew up with parents that, they live and they give in a, in a path that I want you to love and respect me. I mean, the expectation is there, but it, it didn't feel heavy-handed. What I have discovered about heavy-handed leadership, what I've discovered about heavy-handed rule is that heavy-handed leads to hard hearts and it turns into rebellion. God knows that. God created us. God created this heart that beats inside me. God created the emotions that I hear. So, I don't believe that we're hardwired to obey God. I believe we have to choose to be in relationship with him. But we can also make the choice not to be in relationship with him. So as I reflect back on my life, as I look at the stories of the Bible, and I may be wrong, God could be looking down like, would y'all please get him off stage? First of all, he does not have a good sense of humor with the jokes he's telling, right? I know there's a teacher shortage, but is there a preacher shortage too? Is this the best we have? I, I, he may be, right? I, but this is just how I see it. In the beginning, God created. So it's his universe. It's his rules. So it reminds me of another joke. Audra woke up for that. Oh, wait, joke. <laughs> so one day, a group of scientists had got together and they had decided that humanity had come a long way and they no longer needed God. So they picked one scientist to go and tell God that they were done with him. And the scientist walked up and said, God, We've decided we no longer need you. We're to the point where we can clone people, manipulate atoms, build molecules, fly through space, do many other 
miraculous things. So why don't you just go away and mind your own business and leave us alone for now? God listened very patiently, kindly to the man. After the scientists were done talking, God said, very well, well, before I go, how about this? Let's just have a human-making contest. To which the scientists replied, okay, we can handle that. God said, all right, so let's do it like we did old school, back in the old days when I created Adam. The scientist said, sure, no problem. And so he bent down, picked up a handful of dirt, and God said, no, 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 you got to get your own dirt. I'm just done. I'm just done. I'm fine. I really wasn't leaving. Camera guys are like, where do we go? What do we do? I don't know. It's because I forgot to bring my Charlie Chaplin up here. I'm going to need this. God created the universe. God made man. But he also gave man the ability to choose, to choose to love God, to choose to obey God. So here's the deal. God says, I'm going to give you some rules. If you do this, if you live by this, then life's just going to go better for you. Not because he's a fun hater, not because God's down there trying to make your life heavy. And like, but like at every time there was a reason for the rule. Because of Adam and Eve, they, they broke the deal. They ate the fruit. Because they did that sin, disease, pain, sickness, evil, all of that entered into this equation, right? Now let's, let's just be real for just a second. If Adam and Eve had not eaten the fruit of the garden, we all know that Rick Taylor would have. Like when it was his turn, like you'd have been, and he'd have been caught guilty with the apple. What? I love you, buddy. He didn't even hear what I said. It's fine. <laughs> if your free will chose to love God and follow God, life just goes better. That, that's, the, that's the way he set this up, right? You're still gonna have bad days because Adam and Eve ate the fruit. You're still going to go through pain. You're still going to go through death and loss and disease and, and tragedy. But in the end, God's ways work better than the world's. And so I'm saying, as I look back on my life and walking through those valleys and those issues, as I look back, there was a lot of pain. But in the end, I look back and go, you know what? I strive to do my best and follow God's ways. And in the end, he worked it all for my good, according to Romans 8, 28. Okay? Now, there are some gray areas that sometimes cause some issues. Because we're saved by grace, we're not saved by following rules. So you don't have to follow the rules to go to heaven. God's grace is big enough to provide a pathway for you to be in heaven. But your life on earth will be hell. Like, I'm not saved by following the rules. God's like, here, if you'll do this, things on this life, I created this universe, is how I created to operate. If you'll follow these rules, life for you will go better. But following the rules doesn't get me into heaven, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross, and that grace is big enough to cover up all my disobedience and sin. If that makes sense, say amen. So that's the deal with Israel. I will be your God, you be my people. If you choose to love me, if you choose to follow me, if you choose to obey me, life will just go better for you, okay? Remember I said there were two books that were perspective books. One was Ecclesiastes, the other one's Deuteronomy. I'm gonna spend some time in Deuteronomy, all right? So Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse one, and again, this is perspective. He's looking back on God's deal, God's covenant with the children of Israel. Verse one, chapter 28, verse one. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the other nations of the world. Like, if you obey me, things will go well for you. 
You will experience all the blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children and your crops will be blessed. Your offspring of your herds and your flocks will be blessed. Your college football team won't know that doesn't say that. Your fruit baskets and your breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. Will there still be pain? Yes, because Adam and Eve ate the fruit. Will there still be sickness and disease? And de- Yes, but if you strive in your life to follow God and live according to his rules, you kind of step under his protection. Still going to have bad days. It's still going to rain. But when you do this, it just leads to good things. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They will attack from one direction, but they'll scatter in seven. The Lord will guarantee a blessing on everything you do and fill your storehouse with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's given you. And that all began in verse one with if you fully obey. All right? If you obey, God will bless you. God's ways work better than the world's. Okay? So Deuteronomy was written right before they would move into a land that he had promised to give them. So we refer to that as the promised land. It's a very creative name, right? Right, and we can all pronounce it, right? So this was right before that Joshua would take over from Moses and he would lead them into battle, lead them to conquer the promised land. And he's very specific on how to deal with the people. You're moving into this land and he's very specific on what to do with them. And I want to be very careful because what I'm going to read, you're going to go, you can't do that in 2022, okay? And it's not because God is racist. It's because he knows if you allow, if you tolerate some of these things to linger, two or three generations from now, your kids are going to be doing those things that are evil and moral and not good for you personally. Parents, it's kind of like we want our kids to hang out with good friends. Because we want them to be a good influence. Well, these weren't the good friends. These were the Smoking in the boys' room. That's like what was going on, right? I'm sorry, I won't sing anymore. Deuteronomy chapter 12. Again, I'm in Deuteronomy. It's a reflection book. These are the decrees and regulations you must carefully to obey when you live in the land that your Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. So this is the promised land. You must obey them as long as you live. So he's gonna tell them what to do with these people. When you drive out the nation, so they had a choice. They could flee or they could stay and fight. But if they decide that they're gonna stay, Israel, you gotta deal with it. You can't let it. He didn't mandate that you go in and slaughter everybody. He's like, you can drive, they can leave, but if they choose to stay and fight, then you're gonna fight and you need to conquer them, all right? You must destroy all the places where they worship their gods. Don't leave their temples. Like high on the mountains, up on the hills, under every green tree, break down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, burn their Asherah poles, cut down their carved idols, completely erase the names of their gods. Don't take any of it, don't keep any of it, just destroy it all. Again, it's not racially motivated, it's because they did evil things. And you're gonna see that the nations of Israel and Judah both follow their practices in just a minute. And and as I'm reading what they do, you're gonna be shocked. Keep in mind that people that were in the promised land before Israel came in, They did things that were even worse. God's not racist. He was trying to protect his children. Like when you tell your kids, there's certain kids I don't want you to hang out with, it's not because I'm racist. It's not because I'm judgmental. It's because I want you to follow God's ways. Because when you follow God's ways, it leads to good things in your life. 
Okay? So I'm going to do a little bit of Old Testament history this morning. I should have worn a sweater vest, all right? So we talked about Deuteronomy. Judges, excuse me, Joshua took over for Moses. The book of Joshua is all about the conquest of the promised land. It's about the battles that they would go in and defeat the people that were living in this land that God had promised them, okay? Reality, they won. They had the momentum. They had the upper hand, but they got tired. Battle fatigue kept in. Like, they fought for years, and eventually they just got tired of doing the hard stuff. Then the book of Judges follows. And Judges was the era right after Joshua, Okay, so now they're living in the land, they're new in the land, and and they had just conquered it, they've taken it over, but they need leadership. And early on in Judges chapter 2, early in this era, after Joshua has died, and now they're living in in the land relatively is at peace, Judges chapter 2, this is what this says, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said to the Israelites, so God sends a messenger, and he says, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give your ancestors... And I said I would never break my covenant with you, which, by the way, God promised the land way, 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 way before they ever marched out of Egypt. It was given to Abraham. Verse 2. For your part, you are not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars. Like, you were to drive them out, give them, hey, you can go, but if you stay, it's not going to go good for you. But you were to destroy their temples. You were to erase the name of their God but you disobeyed my commands. Like when you conquered it, when you're in there, you're doing all, I brought you out of Egypt, you were living under my covenant, but you got tired of fighting and then you disobeyed. You took the covering off. Why'd you do this? Verse three, so now I declare that you will longer drive out the people living in your land. I'm just gonna leave them. You quit fighting, you quit doing the hard stuff so they're gonna be a thorn in your side and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. You chose this. You knew the deal. You knew why. You knew why you had to drive them out. I'm up here working. God's like, I'm up here trying to help you conquer this, but you quit. And if you won't go get out on the battlefield and fight, I can't can't work through you because you're not even there. And the people failed to drive out all those people when you had your chance, when things were going good, but it got a little bit tough and you stopped. Now those people are going to be a thorn in your side. Judges chapter 2, verse 20. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. And he said, because these people have violated my covenant, which I have made with their ancestors, and you ignored my command. You you stepped out from under the umbrella. I will no longer drive out the nations that Joshua left unconquered when he died. Like, you made your choice. You could have obeyed me. I was helping you. We were driving all these people out, and you just got tired of doing the tough stuff. And so you sort of obeyed. Parents... Let the ancient stories of the Bible remind us to never get tired of doing the tough stuff. I know it's hard being a parent. I know it's hard to set, live, and push a biblical family example in your life, but don't get tired of doing the tough stuff. Don't give in. Don't give in. Live, set the biblical standard for your kids, for your family. I love you, and you don't want to hear this, but I got the microphone. I know there are times your kids don't want to go to church. When they were little, they didn't want to go to bed either. But we know what happens when little Johnny don't go to bed. They didn't want to brush their teeth either. They didn't want to go to the dentist either. So you need to ask yourself what's more important, teeth rot or soul rot? 
because we make them brush their teeth. We make them go to the dentist, but sometimes we let church and the things of God be optional. It is hard to strive. It is hard to live to a biblical standard, but today you are going to see what happened when parents stopped doing the tough stuff and the moral decay that set into a corrupt culture. If you see anything today, don't get tired of fighting. Galatians 6, 9, I don't have a slide for it. It says, never get tired of doing what's good for you. We'll reap a bountiful harvest. That's how I see our story with God. We do the good things that God has set before us and it leads to a bountiful harvest in our lives. When we get to Daniel chapter one, which I read, remember I read all those names, like we get to Daniel chapter one because of Judges chapter two. Daniel chapter one happens where Babylon comes in and they conquer because of decisions that were made back at the end of Joshua in the beginning of Judges, like you quit fighting, okay? They got tired of doing the tough stuff. They gave in to the corrupt culture that surrounded them. Their kids intermarried with other nations, not because they're racist, but because they were serving other gods. And they woke up one day and the Bible says there was a generation that, knew not Lord, that did not know the Lord. So I'm gonna take just a second. This is gonna be a little bit, but I'm gonna walk through the series of kings that led the nation of Judah. And I'm gonna show you where Daniel chapter one falls in the other history. We got time to do that? Like you're gonna say no anyway, right? In the other portions of the Old Testament, okay, there are the kings of Judah that were descendants of David. By the way, all these kings that today we're gonna talk about were descendants, they were heirs of David, and, and that does matter. So remember I said, Saul, I don't have his name, but Saul was the first king. When he died, David became the next king and then really kind of united all the tribes. Solomon was the third king that was the son of David. And, and for the most part, Israel was one united nation under those first three kings, okay? Solomon was mostly a good king, but he had his weaknesses. One of the things that God told Israel and Judah not to do was don't worship their gods. Don't leave their temples, destroy their idols. Don't marry their wives, don't marry their daughters, don't marry their sons, because if you do, you're gonna be tempted to go worship their gods. So I don't have a slide for this. First Kings 11 says that King Solomon loved many, many foreign women. He married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and among the Hittites. He had 700 wives that were of royal birth, and he had three other that were concubines, okay, which were wives that were pretty, but they just didn't come from royal birth. Dude have a thousand, a thousand, guys, do the math. A thousand, like, how do you keep up with anniversaries, birthdays, and first date things? I don't know. Now, it says in his old age that Solomon worshiped other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord, but in the end, he came back. He came back to God. That's when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, which is his perspective book. His son, Rehoboam, actually split the nation of Israel into two. It was under his leadership that now you have the northern nation of Israel and the southern nation of Judah. The Bible describes him in 1 Kings 14 as an evil king. Abijam, okay, he was described as an evil king. Then Asa took over. He ruled for 41 years. The Bible describes him as a good king. This also, to give you some perspective, this was the same time that Elijah and Elisha did ministry. There was a king named Jehoshaphat. He ruled for 25 years. He was a good king. The Bible says in 1 Kings 22, he made peace. Remember, we're in the southern nation of Judah. He made peace with the northern nation of Israel. And that's gonna come back to get him, okay? 
For the sake of peace, he let his son marry the daughter of the king of Israel. A guy by the name of Ahab was one of the most evil kings that Israel had. So consequently, his son, Jeroham, was an evil king because he married an ungodly woman. Queen Athaliah was an evil queen. King Joash or Jehoash ruled for 40 years. He was a good king. Consequently, this gets a little confusing because Israel also had a king, Joash, at the same time. And so it gets a little bit like, wait, dude, you lost me at Jeroham. I don't even know what's going on, right? So Amaziah was a good king. He ruled for 29 years. And I want you to see the longevity of some of these good kings, okay? The good kings had a tendency to rule longer. The bad kings would have short reigns because the good kings would step under the covering and do what God asked them to do. The bad kings would do it their own way and they did not have long reigns. They did reign, but it was not a long time, okay? Uzziah reigned for 55 years. I don't care what party we're associated politically. After a president is done in the U.S. for eight years, we're all ready for them to go, right? And so just imagine 55 years of the same guy. He was a good king. This is the time of Isaiah. Like the book of Isaiah begins in the year that such and such that Uzziah died, okay? I also put an asterisk up there that six kings ruled in Israel, the northern nation. Six kings ruled during his lifetime, so Judah just, they, they can rest in peace because they've got stable, long, good leadership. Jotham reigned. He was a good king. Ahaz was an evil king. Actually, one of the worst between both nations. He literally sacrificed his own children, his own sons on the fire to other gods. He went to Babylon. He saw they had a nice fancy altar in their temple. Shouldn't have been in their temple anyway. Shouldn't have gone to Babylon anyway. But he comes back and he instructed that the priests and the craftsmen build an a, uh, altar just like what he had saw in Babylon and he set it up in the temple of the Lord. He was not a good king. And it's at the time of Ahaz that Israel crumbles. Not Judah, but Israel. 2 Kings 17, this disaster, talking about the northern nation of Israel, came upon the people of Israel because they worshiped other gods. They sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them safely out of Egypt. Verse 18, because the Lord was angry with Israel, not Judah, but angry with Israel, he swept them away from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah remained in the land. But even the people of Judah refused to obey the commands of the Lord, for they followed the evil practice that Israel had introduced. Remember I talked about he brought a time of peace? Well, now you've got that Israel influence. The Lord rejected all descendants of Israel. He punished them by handing them over to the attackers until he had banished Israel from his presence. Hezekiah Mostly a good king. 90% of his was good. He had a little hiccup. We call building our testimony, right? He had about 10% bad, but Hezekiah was a good king. Manasseh was a very evil king. The Bible describes him as very evil. Like between Israel and Judah, he was the worst of the worst, okay? But eventually he repented. Second Chronicles 33, 12. But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him. Moved by his request, the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized. So he was horrible. Finally, at the end of his life, he realized that the Lord alone is God. All right? However, in the end, we're going to get to in just a minute. In, in 2 Kings 24, it said that God allowed disaster on the nation of Judah because of this guy, because he was so evil, because of the sins 
of Manasseh. All right, the next king was Amon. He was evil. Josiah was young when he became king, and he was a really good king. Jehoaz was evil, and this right here is the beginning of the end. Under his rule, Egypt invades Judah, okay? And so um, the next king would be Elikim. That would be his Jewish name. He was evil, and he was also put in place by the Egyptians who had conquered them. 2 Kings 23, and we're almost to the end. 2 Kings 23, it says, Pharaoh Necho then installed Elikim, another of Josiah's son, to reign in place of his father, and he changed Elikim's name to Jehoiakim. All right? So again, these invading armies in a moment of disrespect, you're not gonna be known by your Jewish identity, I'm gonna give you an Egyptian identity, okay? Then Babylon defeats Egypt, so you've got the world superpowers fighting, and Babylon now invades Judah, right here. Right here between Elikim, Jehoiachim, and Zedekiah, they're all evil kings. Right here is where Daniel chapter one takes place. This is where Daniel chapter one takes place. Now, if you come back to church next week, there's gonna be a vocab test. No, I'm just kidding. Of the 18, I walked you through 18 kings. I did not include Saul, David, and Samuel. Of the 18 kings of Judah, nine of them, half of them were evil, but nine of them were good. Let me give this perspective. The other nation, Israel, that was up to the north, they existed 118 years less. Like God got tired of them quickly. They also had 19 kings, 18 kings, and all of them were evil. There was not one king referred to in Israel that said he did what was good in the sight of the Lord, okay? So in the book of Daniel, you're gonna hear some things like Babylonians and Assyrians and so on. Let's talk about where are they now. All right, let me define what those terms, when you hear the term Assyrians, because that'll be a part of it, Yes, there is a word we're familiar with in that term called Syria. The British folks are the one that changed them from Assyrians to Syria, okay? So there is actually a country called Syria today. Think about how long a history that nation has. That is the Assyrians. There were time, they're a very strong, powerful nation. And you're gonna hear the term Babylonians, okay? Genesis chapter 11 tells the story of Babel. I personally believe that, that point, they were one race, they were one language. I think out of anger and frustration, they were gonna build a tower up to God because they were mad that God destroyed everything with the flood. They also were trying to secure their own survival. Well, we're gonna build a, a tower so tall that if it floods again, we'll just rise above it. And God looked down, was kind of frustrated with that, and he separated their languages. And so that becomes known as the Tower of Babel, okay? Babylon was built there. Babylon, we believe, is 53 miles south of Baghdad. So anybody that's in that region of Iraq, that's the Babylon. So when I say Assyrians, it's modern-day Syria. When I say Babylonians, it's the modern-day Iraqis, okay? Deuteronomy says, make sure you don't allow them to stay among you. Destroy their temples, destroy their altars, don't marry them. Judges 2 says you allowed them to stay. God said, I told you don't do this, but because you allowed that, because you got tired of doing the tough stuff, because I gave you a free will to choose to obey me and you chose to stop, these people are actually gonna become a thorn to you. Prophet after prophet after prophet, and I mentioned some of them. Isaiah, Elijah, Elisha, they would come up on the scene and they would warn them, God is begging you to turn back. God is begging you with your free will to choose to serve him, choose to obey him, and they refused to listen. 
Daniel chapter one is the same as 1 Kings chapter 24. It's the same time in history. As Paul Harvey would say, how you know the rest of the story. Okay. So quickly, four primary areas where Israel failed to obey God. Some of you are looking at your watches. I am setting a challenge I can be done in six minutes. Not that funny. You know me all too well. Now, Matt's time doesn't count in my time. Ready? Four areas of compromise, okay? Number one, they compromised in the biblical standard for marriage and family. Repeat after me. Everybody say, I love BK. I'm BK. Like if you're new and like, who's BK? I don't know, that's, it. that's me. God said, and again, I wanna reiterate, not because he's racist, okay? But he knew they would worship other gods. He, he knew that if you married those people, they have different values. They have different religion. And, and that like if you as a good follower of Christ or you as a, as a worshiper of God, if you marry somebody that's not, your kids are, are, are probably gonna be pulling that direction. And so God, listen, you gave up a biblical standard for marriage and family. It started with Solomon. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. And he married women that God said don't marry. Not because God's racist, because he was trying to protect future generations. So for you and I, this is not very popular. I know I'm gonna sound very old-fashioned. I'm okay with that. I tell stupid dad jokes too. For you and I, it says don't be unequally yoked. Somebody like, I don't even, I don't even know what that means. Listen, yoked is an agriculture term. It's that big leather thing that they would put around the neck of the animal to pull the pull the plow, and if you put a horse with a donkey, they're different sizes, different strengths, and so you're constantly gonna fight. If you put a cow with a mule, it just doesn't pull the same, and so you always wanted to put two oxen together or two horses together. That's called equally yoked. Listen, if you're a Christian, listen, it's, it's not because you're judgmental or whatever, but man, just don't go there. Just don't go there. If you date somebody that's not a Christian, think I'll bring them over. I'm just telling you, you're gonna fight, the, you're gonna raise children and there is this temptation that they're gonna go serve that God, not yours. So for you and I, don't be unequally yoked. That's the Bible talking. It's not my rules, it's God. You said you loved me a minute ago, so I'm gonna get weird, especially in 2022. The biblical definition is one man and one woman. I didn't write it. I didn't make the rules, he did. It's his umbrella, not mine. But the biblical standard for family and marriage is one man and one woman. Secondly, they tolerated false prophets and false teaching. Truth became relative. Well, what's true for you may not be true for me. And the reality is the Bible is what dictates truth. And if you and I compromise on this, it will lead your life and it will lead your family down your own version of Daniel chapter one. If you compromise on what you believe to be true. They own, the prophets that came, there would be some that would come and stand, but most of the prophets only came and preached what the people wanted to hear. Like they didn't get the umbrellas out. They only preached what people wanted to hear. There's an example, you wanna write this down. First Kings 22, not second Kings, but first Kings 22, there was a time where Israel and Judah were at peace and they decide to ally their armies together to go attack some of the people that were around them. And they said, hey, let's bring in God's prophets and let him talk to us. They brought in over 400 prophets and every one of them spoke lies. 
Every one of them told the kings what they wanted to hear. There was one man, the prophet Micaiah, and he said, if you go into battle, you're gonna lose. They tolerated false teaching and false prophets. They only preached what would sell books. They only preached what the crowd wanted to hear. They only preached what was popular in the culture. Number three, they worshiped other gods. This is why number one and number two were so important is because it leads to this. They worshiped other gods. They turned into, what does it matter who you worship? We're probably all going to heaven. And it quickly became witchcraft and sorcery. They even burned their own sons in the fire to worship other gods. That is sick. Number four, they became unjust and unfair as a people. They unfairly oppressed people. They took advantage of the disadvantaged. They tolerated slavery. They became a socially oppressive people. Do you remember when Jesus finally came on the scene, how socially oppressive they were? King Manasseh, the reason God said he invaded or allowed Babylonians to invade Judah is because he was so evil. He filled the streets of Jerusalem with innocent blood to promote his agenda. Don't go there. Those four areas, don't go there. Sometimes I, I look at our nation, I look at the corrupt culture around us and I'm like, God, sometimes I feel like Daniel. Will we be strong enough to stand when our time comes? What you're gonna see in the coming weeks is a man and his friends who were brave enough to stand strong in a corrupt culture. What you allow, the next generation will adopt. Let's say that again. What you allow, the next generation will adopt. Don't compromise with a corrupt culture. Just don't go there. Just don't go there. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.